And the title this morning is for all of the Billy Joel fans and all of the, uh, the Gen Xers in the room. And I'm sorry, but you will have this song if you fall into those two things. You will have this song in your head the rest of the day. And, and you know, that's that's okay. That's all right. We didn't start the fire. Who? I'm, I'm curious. Anybody here able to quote all those words? I am not, so I'm not raising my hand. Nobody? Trissa can? I am so tempted to chat. No, no, no. That would be awesome. Uh, but Because I don't. It's like a life goal, but I'm not there yet to have all these words. I thought about updating it because every time I turn on the news, I feel like we read new lyrics into the song. We didn't start the fire. Uh, but it's a good one. I actually like the song. Fun song. But it's not always so fun when you start reading through those lyrics and think, man, the world was a mess when he wrote this, wasn't it? And it was. Now, it seems as we look back through the eyes of nostalgia, which is basically just chosen memory loss, uh, we look back and go, man, those were great times. No, read the lyrics again. They had problems. And people at that time thought, surely the world must be about to come to an end. They thought the same thing in the 1970s. They thought the same thing in the 1950s. They thought for sure the same thing in the late 30s, early 40s. They thought it in the 20s. They thought it in, in the year 20. People have been focused on what is going to happen at the end of the world since the beginning of the world, I guess, at least since the fall. Because ever since the fall, we've known the end of the world is pretty well-deserved thing, you know? And so we've looked at it and looked forward to it, right? No. But we should as Christians, shouldn't we? Yeah, we actually should. But uh, that's actually not what I'm going to talk about today. We kind of should look forward to the end of it because God says at the end of it, he's going to do what? Make all things new. And he is going to recreate that he is preparing for the next life already a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And everything is finally going to be as God intended it again. And this time, incorruptible and unchangeable and no little snake in a garden is ever going to ruin everything all over again. So I, if you, I think I have something to look forward to. Now, a lot of times that's not the way we see it. Part of that is because the world doesn't fully understand what all of that means and what's going to happen or even believe in what that means or what's going to happen. And part of it is, you know, it's not just like with death. It's not the, the dying. Yeah, it's not the death that scares us. It's the how you get there. Would that be true for you? And you're ready to meet your Lord if you're a Christian. You look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. You trust the Lord that he is going to be able to accomplish what he has promised you, which means eternal life with the Lord forever. You trust that Jesus Christ through the cross has conquered death once and for all. And that this is truly, because Christ has made it so, a transition and not a true end. But we get real scared even as Christians of, okay, but how do I, I still have to go through the dying to get through the death and the rebirth, don't I? And so we get a little bit scared about that. And so sometimes we even get sucked into the world's drama over death and the end of the world. I'm going to give you an example. So, if you turn on the news at any given time, you are going to see at least one of these doomsday scenarios being talked about. In the last week, 
they they were talking about, well, you know, they think they successfully tested a rocket hitting the part of a comic. Comic? A rocket hitting some comics actually might improve the world. I have no idea. Maybe maybe this one. I put my timer down there and I didn't start it. So, you know, good luck for y'all. Uh, but I just now noticed that. Um, that's maybe the comic that the, the comet should hit then, right? Anyway, they shot a rocket, NASA did, and you probably saw this in the news, uh, at really just kind of the little trailing arm of the comet. And it. they said it was a success because it knocked it off a little bit. Now, I'm just waiting for the irrefutable law of unintended consequences to show up in about, I don't know, 10,000 years and that little shard that they hit that rocket on hits something else and blows it up instead. And it's like, well, you know, if you trace back the math, I think we did that. I think that's going to happen. Uh, hopefully it isn't, you know, Oklahoma or something, but uh, that would be counterproductive. But we worry about those things. So you can see about the comets, you can see about climate change and all of those kind of things and, and the scariness and and that some people have around all of that, whether it's naturally caused or whether it's, you know, contributed to by whatever. The the bottom line is it has people scared to death. Some people absolutely scared out of their minds about that. I don't say that in a mocking way, just a true way. And I, I put that for all of these things. Um, there is the comet, meteors, everything else, and then you have... Aliens, which seems far-fetched compared to the rest, does it not? However, you have people that are quicker to believe in little green men than they are in the Lord God who created them. And that's crazy, but it's real. And it's out there. And actually, it's increasingly common. But then with that would come the fear that, what if it's not like an episode of Star Trek where some of them actually want to make peace? What if, you know, they're all Romulan? What, what, what if, you know, that people get, oh, no, they're all going to come and show up and just want to blow us all up. Well, that has some people staying up at night. Other things at night, you know, you got nuclear, which sides what? You got nuclear war and people get scared to death about that. Those of us who grew up when the other song was written know very well why they were afraid of that. And if you're watching the news right now, what are we afraid of? That we could get into the same kind of nuclear standoff all over again. And maybe this time worse because some of the personalities involved are far less stable than people that had access to the button in the past. And that's bad. I get it. You see why people are nervous. And so you end up with all kinds of warnings about, well, this could be the end. I didn't put up there things like super volcanoes and giant spiders, but there are people. Okay. And then you got the Christians. We all know this guy, right? Don't we? We all know... I think it's the first Amish street preacher I've ever seen. I'm not sure. Uh, that's really not usually a thing, is it? Uh, anyway, we all know that there are also a lot of Christians that spend all the time of their faith worried and, and, and concerned about how the world is going to end, and they spend a lot of time trying to figure out the date. I could have put a comic up here that I saw that uh, had all the little marked out dates. The end is, and it says this year and this year and this year, and they're all crossed out, and finally it just says near you know, it was a good cartoon. And that's the way it kind of goes. And a lot of preachers lose their credibility because they think that they've mapped all of that out. And then what they find is that indeed, both Jesus and the apostles were absolutely correct, shocker, when they said no one will be able to discern the time. I don't know why we lose our minds and forget that, but you are not going to have that figured out. Near is as close as you're going to get. 
The end is, though, actually near in this sense. It is nearer today as it ever was, and it is inevitable. And for all we know, it could be nearer than we can imagine. We have no idea when the Lord will return. Okay, that's the truth. That's what Jesus himself said. That's what the apostles taught. And I know that Christianity sells a whole lot of books, and I think that might be the motive, uh, sells a whole lot of books saying otherwise, but that's what we know. That is what we know. And he says it'll come at a time when you actually won't always see it coming. Hey, we have a lot of signs that we look at. Some of those things actually had to do with other things that have already happened. But you will not, he says, it'll come at a day when you are doing your own normal thing. The whole world will just be saying, yeah, everything's fine. And that's when it's going to happen. It won't come with a whole bunch of signs in the sky showing you that, hey, Jesus is about to be here. That would give them warning. He says, I'm not giving you that. I've given you one warning. I will be back. You won't know when. And you won't see it coming. That ought to have us even more motivated, which I think is his his motivation, to be ready when it happens. All that in mind, you look at the things that people fear, and some of us just decide to just forget it, right? I like this. So what? This is probably the only place today where Homer Simpson is in the sermon slides. End is near. So what if I can't spell Armageddon? It's not like it's the end of the world. How many of you feel that way? You know, you're not worried about it. You can't figure it all out. The signs that you think you understand you do are confusing. You can't figure out the math you're not going to. And Jesus has already done that on purpose. It's one of those algebra questions where there's an extra A, B, and Z in the equation. And you just look at that and go, this, this is why I'm a word person, not a number person. Right there. And you just move on, right? Well, depending on your job, maybe you can become agnostic about algebra. But you can't become agnostic about the inevitability that one day we will face Jesus either in hope or in the sudden too late realization that we could have had hope, one or the other, because the end actually does come. And pulling down the curtain, we were talking about this Wednesday night, an old joke about pulling down the curtain and pretending the train's moving, doesn't work. What will happen will happen, and we need to be ready. So Peter addresses this. In First Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7, he addresses how we ought to act. And I'm going to put this question up here because it's one of two that I want us to think about today. What is the godly, faith-filled, Christ-centered response to understanding that Jesus is going to come, that there will be a day when we are raised, that all of this does end, that it could end very dramatically, even though we don't see it coming, and it might come at a time that's perfectly at peace in the world. How are we supposed to prepare for that? What does that look like? This is what he says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, now what's he going to do? There's your answer. So let me tell you how to be. Let me tell you how to live. Let me tell you how to prepare. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of, of your prayers. The NIV says, be sober and alert to pray, to pray. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter gets so excited about this idea that he actually praises God at the end. Did you see that? Praise God. To him be glory forever and ever. And he shouts to his own thing. Amen. You know, sometimes... He must, this is how you know Peter was a member of the Church of Christ. He had to amen his own sermons to get anything. Says the guy raised in the Baptist church. You see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? So, Peter's list is not necessarily what, it would, what we would think of. Because we might think that the thing we need to do is this. That our response is to go out and we need to, and, and, and sometimes, let me just tell you this, sometimes it is this. I'm talking about the background picture, not the main words. Okay, sometimes it is that we need to warn people, maybe not in that particular way. Okay, judge your circumstance. Use the Lord's wisdom, because I don't think that's, I don't think that's always the wrong approach. There may be a time and a place for that. And if you're thinking, James, I don't know, that's kind of weird. Ask Jonah. Because that's what Jonah had to do, commanded by God. He had to march through Nineveh and preach that the end was coming in 40 days if they didn't repent. By the way, Jonah, the single most effective preacher in Scripture. Nobody else got a response like that. And Jonah was an absolute crankpot who didn't even want to do it. So let me just tell you this. This is a little side lesson. If you're like, but I don't want to do that, read Jonah. There's a lot of potential in you. Read Jonah. Do what God calls you to do even if you don't like it. Okay? So whatever it is that we need to do, there's that. But Peter actually gives us a really different idea of how to approach this that we just read. And it's just not the outline that we would expect. The first thing he says is maybe the most expected. I want you to wake up and I want you to pray. I want you to be sober and alert. I like those words. That's the NIV. Be sober and alert. Wake up, get your mind about yourself, and look around. Don't let this surprise you. It is so easy for us to get lulled like a frog in a kettle into the things of the world and just daily life. Satan doesn't always have to distract us with evil. Sometimes he can distract us with just word puzzles and wheel of fortune. And so I don't do either of those things. I have no idea. I assume somebody here, the spirit, needs to get away from wheel of fortune and word puzzles. I don't know. But we just get lulled into daily routine and boredom. And we give our life away. And we give our calling away. And we give the potential of the kingdom of God away. Whatever it is. Wake up, he says. The, the end is actually coming the world will end. There will be at that not just an ending, but a judgment. And there is not one person in this world that you should want to be unprepared. None. Not yourself, not even your worst enemy, should you want them to be unprepared. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul told Timothy as his motivation for his ministry. This is what God wants. So wake up 
And you start it all with prayer. Prayer centers us in several ways. First, it it gets us to see all these people around us the way we need to. People loved by God, sought by God, people God wants us to serve and to speak the gospel to, people he wants us to bring into the kingdom of God, people he wants us to forgive and help them find God's forgiveness. It helps us to see all that again. Helps us to regulate the difference between that vision of the kingdom and our own emotions and struggles and hurts and pains. We need to do that. We need to be prepared for how Satan will attack us because the more committed we are to preparing other people for the kingdom, the more Satan is going to try and disrupt our own lives. And he says, be awake. It's going to happen. There's a target on your back. That's what he's telling this church all throughout this letter. There's a target on your back. Be sure that you know what's going on in your heart, in your life, and be ready to go to the Lord for strength, guidance, and wisdom to deal with it. Be watchful. Pay attention and pray. Then he tells us the next one. And I think maybe this is maybe the second most obvious. I want you to love each other. Say it's the second most obvious because I think we know we got to pray first. Even to do this, we're going to have to spend our time in prayer. Some people, you got to pray to the Lord for the ability to love them. True? True. Sometimes we're out there, there's somebody who's praying to the Lord right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me love him. Help me love her. That's where we start. But we then we start to put it into action. How do you put it into action? Except to be the most like Jesus we can be, and that's to love. He says, I want you to love one another. And then he puts an adverb on there. Little grammar class. Adverb describes the verb, right? How do we love? Deeply. No shallow Christians. No just rubbing elbows. I want you to get into each other's life and love each other deeply. It means you care about each other. You pray for each other. You serve one another. You feed one another if somebody needs feeding. Clothe one another if somebody needs clothing. It means that you you care and pray about and help when people are struggling with whatever it is. Health, spiritual struggles, whatever. You intertwine your life with other people's lives become increasingly popular because of the different things that people are struggling with emotionally. You know, there's all this mess that's going on in our society with shaking up different things is causing people to become suspicious. It's causing them to become very tempted to be polarized and frankly hateful toward people that they're polarized from. And it's causing people to just want to shut down and, and become far too private. And it kills a society. When privacy is your number one goal in life, your number one goal has become to cut yourself off from everybody else. Your paranoia has taken over. I'm not talking about privacy like keeping your passwords. I'm talking about privacy like somebody knocks on your door and you shoot them. Paranoia breeds fear and hatred, and it is not serving our society well. Did you see this week? In the last few weeks, three teenagers have been shot to death stupidly. That is the only right word. Stupidly. Not because, and this is not a political statement, because you might be surprised where I am on this anyway politically. This is a moral, spiritual statement. When we become so 
eaten by fear that we become paranoid and we know better how to use force than to use good judgment. We aren't being disciples of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. One kid was shot because he just rang on the wrong door. That's all he did. Rang a doorbell to pick up his siblings, and he was shot. It's senseless. But it's the, it's, it's the fruit of fear, paranoia, and a lack of love. Love stops and says, do I even know who's there? That is a love action. Love says, is this really even worth doing? Which would stop us. Closer to home. Very close to home for some people. Uh, over in Elgin. Two young teenage girls. Shot. One died. One is a relative of someone with Lake Cisco Christian Camp connections. They've been asking for prayer on that forum. She was born, Peyton Washington was born with one lung. Bullet went through that lung. Incredible that she's alive. Went through her spleen. They've asked for prayers for her recovery. Pray. All because a paranoid man thought the little girl getting out of his car, who got in the wrong car, and then jumped back out and immediately went back to the car she had been carpooling in, was somehow threatening. Love does not see the world. Faith does not see the world as our greatest threat. Hear that. When we live in fear, we make dumb decisions. Right? That's not just about COVID. When we live in fear, we make dumb decisions. Love stops and asks, regardless of the circumstances, how does Jesus want me to treat a person? You love one another deeply. In that, you start to cultivate this culture of grace. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Okay? Love will also, by the way, in those circumstances, look to both sides of the equation. The families who are suffering loss, but also prayers and love and healing for the people who made some really dumb decisions. Who may, in every other part of their life, be good people. I have no idea. I know nothing about those people. I know the the decision. I know the fruit. But those people, too, deserve what? Grace, healing. Are there consequences? Yeah, and they'll. I'm sure they'll get those. But grace will work both sides of every equation. Grace will look to both sides and say there is healing that needs to happen on both sides of that equation and won't become an anger-inducing uh, and uh, yelling and screaming and let's punish as many people we can for the actions of one person kind of a response. Instead, grace will say, this was horrible. Love will say, but we need to heal both sides. Okay? That's what love will do in that and far less extreme circumstances. But if, as the world gets close to the end... We're going to find reasons to need to even think about how do you treat people at those extremes, okay? Because we're seeing it all the time. Third, he gives us is show hospitality. And I think this is the surprising one. 
you know, nobody thinks about as the world is getting more intense and as people as it's getting closer to its end and as people are polarized right now, then you know what we ought to do? We ought to have some of those people over. You go, well, I ain't having those people over. They don't look like me, think like me, whatever like you. Whatever is your problem with somebody. They're not like me. Amen. That's why you should have them over. That's why you ought to love on them. That's why you ought to be patient toward them. That's why you ought to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. I'm going to quote Covey here in a minute again. It's one of the seven habits of highly effective people. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And that's the way we need to be. And one of the best things that God uses for that is hospitality. That's why he centers worship around a table and not an altar, but a table. It's why he calls on us to be people who are hospitable always and often. It's why even within the church, in this case, he's really talking mostly about the church. He says, one another, show hospitality to one another. Later on, Scripture will tell us, also show hospitality to strangers. So there's not even an an out in this, okay? Well, I'll let people come over that I like. That's not what he said. In fact, Jesus told parables about that, didn't he? Don't just go and have your friends over. Anybody can do that. He says, the Pharisees do that. That only make you a good Pharisee. He says, even love your enemies. Seriously? Yeah. Show hospitality. It is amazing. The walls that can break down around chicken fried steak, brisket, and bacon. Bacon. All the above. But not chicken fried bacon. That's just, that's, that's a little over the top. That's, that's probably the, you know, you were always wondering, where is the line for gluttony? That might be it. I don't know. That might be it. It's possible. Fried bacon dipped in gravy. That's, it's getting close. That's why I dip my gravy into the, or dip my bacon, dip my gravy into bacon. That would be gluttony. <laughs> I think that would be it. I think that would be it. You just dip unbreaded bacon. It'd be fine. But seriously, the table breaks down all kinds of walls and you get to know people so much better around a table church isn't enough worship's not enough for us to come here and again rub elbows and and say hello and how are you and all that it's not anywhere near enough it's five percent of the approach you need to take to getting to know one another and and growing into a deep love for one another that he told us to have and your best weapon in that war is hospitality You don't have to have a fancy house. You don't have to have anything like that. You don't need to be Martha Stewart. In fact, some people would really kind of prefer you weren't. And so (laughs) so can you imagine the people she had to share a cell with? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, I'm sure it looked nice when she was done. But anyway, you don't have to have any of that. Your house can look like the tent on MASH. That's fine. In fact, that doesn't have to look that nice. I've seen some of the best hospitality shown by people who would have loved to have had the tents in MASH. Would have loved it. It was better than what they had. Better food than what they had. More food than what they had. But they were incredibly, deeply hospitable. They loved people and they opened up their home because opening up your home is the true sign that you've opened up your heart. Just as closing your door is the true sign that you said, yeah, my heart's not that open. Make it a goal in your life to say, my house is going to be a tool the Lord uses for ministry. 
Because this is something that he has given everyone who has one. If you have a roof, he's given you a gift. That sounds familiar. Use your gifts, then, to serve one another. Whether that is the gift of your home, the gift of wheels to give somebody a ride to church, the gift of encouragement, the gift of administration. Those are the ones we don't. Those are all the gifts I've just used that we're like, oh, well, I was wanting something funner than that. No, these are necessary cogs in the wheel of the body of Christ. Wheel and body. It's not a good mixed metaphor, is it? Anyway, we need these so badly. Use whatever gift God has given you, but don't just use it to go and start an Etsy shop. That's the temptation we're in in our time, to use our gifts only for money. Your most important use of your gift will only be paid for in the next life. Only. If the only way you can see the use of your gifts revolves around a check, there's a God you're serving and it ain't the right one. Learn to serve out of your love for the Lord and because you love deeply the person that you're serving and ask nothing else. And again, I'm quoting Jesus. You don't do what you do because you can get a return. You do what you do because it is the right way to live, love, and serve. And in that way, he says, you distribute God's grace. You think about grace in those terms? Grace, a gift a person doesn't deserve, is given every time you do something for someone in the name of Jesus. You give them grace. You show them grace. You extend the bounds of God's grace. It's a redemptive work to be a servant. It's love in action and it's Christ in action. Now, we usually talk about then going from service, going to do the, the what would Jesus do? But I want to expand that. And I know that in the 90s, people felt like they got to a level of, you know, wearing little bands, and sometimes they called hypocrisy, sometimes rightfully so, sometimes wrongfully so. But the bottom line is this. We really do need to do what Jesus would do. And we really do need to ask that question. And if you don't know the the origins of that, it was not in the 90s, the origins of that question go back to a book by a guy named Sheldon called In His Steps. You want to read the original version? Go back and read In His Steps. Peter is where that phrase comes from, that Christ has given us an example that we should follow in his steps. And that's where the question comes from, is that passage. So then what would Jesus do? It is a, actually a very good, very healthy question for a Christian to ask all the time. How would Jesus handle this? Okay, Because so often we do it the opposite. But we need to step up our game and move from not just, you might think, well, you know, actions speak louder than words. Yes, they do. However, Words can undermine those loud actions very effectively. If you don't watch what you say or how we say it, guess what? Our actions will mean nothing too. It has to be both and. It cannot be either or. What would Jesus say? He, he reminds us of this. Look at this again. Whoever speaks as one who speaks as the oracles of God. When we speak grace to others, when we're speaking to somebody what's right and what's wrong or how to handle things, it needs to be so close to what God has spoken 
that they can trust it as the word of God. Not that we have that kind of authority and not that anybody should take what we say and just say, well, that's what God must want. Not that. He's saying, but what you say should be that close. The way you speak should be so much like Jesus that they look at that and go, well, that's just like Jesus. That was as wise. Not because you're wise, because then they realize, where are you getting it from? Jesus. You speak as if it's the very oracles of God. It's a tremendous responsibility. People sometimes avoid teaching Sunday school or getting up here and teaching or preaching because they're like, oh, it's too big a responsibility. What you don't realize is you take that responsibility every time that little flapper opens. Every time. Every time. So you're already in that responsibility because you're an ambassador of Christ to the world. So what would Jesus say? Challenge even further, how would Jesus say it? See what I did there? You thought I was going to tell you how he would say it. I thought wisdom was not to tell you. Okay, the last one, I think, is this. Lean on God's strength. Maybe that last one, what would Jesus say, is the one where your greatest weakness is. How are you going to overcome that? But by the strength of God and the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Bearing fruit in you. We all know this is a real struggle. Lean in. Lean on the strength of God. Every one of these things is beyond our ability to do without him to the extent that we need to do it. So if it's intimidating, good. Because it is. That means you understand the importance. If any of these scare you, that just means that you get it. Okay? You get it. It's going to take the strength of God to love some people. It's going to take the strength of God to bite that tongue sometimes. Or to speak up sometimes. Sometimes we need to speak up on things we don't want to speak up on. We don't want to dive into. The only way to be faithful sometimes is to speak. Or not speak, depending on the circumstance. Lean on the Lord, not on your own understanding. I've read that in a good book, too, somewhere. I think you've read that, too. And then I have this question. It's kind of like those books. Remember the books when you were a kid where you get to choose the ending? Why don't they write, why don't they write our books as grown-ups like that? Wouldn't that be great if it was choose your own end? Why? Somebody should, could pay go, you some money and go make some money writing those books. Here's your idea. Choose your own ending books were fun. The best part was if you got to the end, you're like, I don't like that. Guess what? Go back about six decisions and try it again. And you sometimes end up at the exact same ending. I hated it when that happened. So then you go back and you do that again. Do you see the little reading teacher jujitsu that was going on there? You just kept going till you got the ending you liked. As a Christian, you are the only people on the planet who get to do that. Because only in Christ do you get to change the ending. Only in Christ does it change. And you can change a lot of things without him, but you can't change the ending. In between here and then, we can change things for the better. And we can change even the endings of other people around us if we'll be faithful in some really difficult times, in some crazy times, and with some things that may every now and then scare us. The question is this, what will it look like if you start doing that? 
What will it look like if you increase how you're doing that? What will it look like if you ask the Lord to help you grow in your faithfulness in these things? Just pick one. Hospitality. What would it look like for you to just say, you know what? I am going to have so-and-so over. I think that'd be great. What happens from there? What does it look like if we all dive in and do it? Peter's greatest concern was this one. And he says, when we do these things, this is going to happen. It's a natural outflow. We bring God glory. We pray a lot of times that what we do will honor the Lord. Guarantee you. You love one another deeply. You spend your time in prayer. You show hospitality. You serve one another in love. You speak the words of God. You honor God. You bring glory to God. And you expand his kingdom. It's not even a question. Let's pray together.